Welcome to a very special episode of Story to Share. So we have decided, yes, there's a big exhale there. I have quite a story for you today. We have decided that we will occasionally have story time with Megan. So this is a special episode and this will come up when, or maybe when it is an appropriate time with current events or what's happening in the world for me to share a story. And as I've mentioned before in the podcast and in, uh, if you go to our website, the whole premise of a story to share began with me wanting to tell my story. I have not been in a place where my brain has enough clarity to be able to write that story because of what's been going on in the world for the past year. Well, year and a half. So when I'm ready, I will tell that story. However, today I do have a story to share with you and it needs to be shared. I don't really know where to start. So let's start with the fact that about as of the end of May, as of May 30th, I was living in a very nice luxury apartment in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. I was gainfully employed, multiple streams of income, had a nice life that had been building for four years. Now I'm living in a tent in Portland, Oregon. Yep, you heard that right. I don't really know what else to say except for let's tell the story. It all started on May 31st. It was a Monday in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. It was evening, and my husband receives a message from his visa agent. We had been hearing rumors that because there is currently an outbreak in Vietnam with COVID, and it is the new Delta strain, which is the uh, strain that has come from India, we knew that they were going to tighten up some of the visa laws. Foreigners were kind of freaking out. People weren't sure what was going to happen next. However, you know, they weren't really giving us any information. So I knew that my my business visa, I knew basically when I renewed in June that I was just going to have to pay more. But what we weren't prepared for was <laughs> what was about to happen. And that was, he gets a call from his agent. And his agent says, I got your passport back for his May renewal. There's no extension. My husband's like, whoa, what, what do you mean? Yeah, you, you have no visa. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means you can't stay here. Okay. So basically, you're being deported. Okay. Well, how long do we have? Well, about a week. Okay. So, you know, this is not my first rodeo. You'll get to know as we continue with the story to share how many insane things I've been through in my life and insane things my husband and I have been through living abroad for about a decade now. And... We look at each other and we go, U.S. or Morocco? Because my husband's from Morocco and I'm from America. We said, U.S., okay. Because we both work remotely, we run our businesses remotely, and it makes the most sense to be in the United States right now because, you know, obviously the infrastructure and all those things. So we get started. We get to work one thing after another. I mean, of course, okay, so in theory... You get your exit stamp, you book your flight, you get your negative COVID test, and you fly home. Yeah, it's not that simple. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say. The first thing is that this is a story that I could not tell until I was clean and out of the country because it could have jeopardized our ability to get out of the country. 
Second, I want to say this is not unique to my husband's situation. Yes, they are more difficult with him and they have always given him a harder time with his visas because he is from a country in North Africa. However, they're doing this right now to everyone. If you don't have a business visa or a residency card work permit in Vietnam, you your people are going in for extensions while they're on lockdown right now in, in Vietnam. And they're just saying, nope. And not only do they do that, but then they're penalizing the foreigners. So here's essentially what happened. Monday night, my husband goes, okay, so I'm going to go into immigration tomorrow and I'm going to get my, my exit stamp. He goes into immigration and his passport had been sent to the capital, to Hanoi, just like normal. They kept the passport for like 10 days, just like they would. They sent it back. And then when he went in to get his exit stamp, they were like, oh, well, you've overstayed. And so you have to pay, you have to fill out this form, you have to pay a penalty, and you also have to wait a week for it to process. Hmm. So you processed my visa, and while you were processing my visa, it was my fault that I overstayed? Okay. And you're going to make me wait, and you're going to make me pay, and while you process it, every day that goes by, I have to pay more fees. Hmm. Clever. Okay, so luckily we happen to have the phone number, the personal cell phone number of the vice president of immigration, who at the time was in a quarantine zone and he was in quarantine. However, he worked some magic and he was able to get my husband an exit stamp within a few days. We paid $200 in order to get the exit stamp. That was the fee to get on the blacklist. So. Thank you so much, Vietnam. Thank you so much, Vietnamese immigration. We paid you $200 to deport us and blacklist us. Well, him, technically. But, I mean, we come we come as a package deal. Thank you. Thank you kindly. Okay. So, it's a nightmare. We do it. We get through it. We take our COVID tests. The government isn't giving, the CDC is not giving COVID tests because they're giving COVID tests to millions of people. So we have to go to a private hospital because that's the only way you can get certified to fly. It costs about 200 bucks a test. We get our tests, get them negative, And I'm like, We're, our butts are going to be on that plane on Sunday. So this is Sunday the 6th. We found out the evening of the 31st, basically. So basically June 1st. And our butts were on that plane on the 6th. Now, I'll go back into some reflection in detail, but I want to give you the overall view of this scenario first. We get on the plane in Vietnam. We fly to South Korea. Nine-hour layover in South Korea. Seoul's an amazing airport. It was weird flying. It was so weird flying because there's no humans in the, in the big airports. It's very strange. And then, and I used to live in Korea, so Seoul's an amazing airport. And we met some very nice people who were doing arts and crafts for people who have long layovers. And it was really fun. And that was great. We slept. It was, it was fine. So we land in Los Angeles. I have been to over 50 countries. I am a very patient human. I know. I know better. I know how to behave. I also don't like authority. We walk into immigration in L.A. The guy takes one look at my husband. And he's already made up his mind. My husband holds a non-immigrant B visa. Now, technically, technically, yes, they can deny him entry into the country. B1 
because if he doesn't have proof that he's leaving, we didn't have time. We didn't book a return ticket. We don't know what we're doing next. Technically, yes, they can send him back. However, this was not that type of situation. This was, hi, I'm a small man with big power and I'm going to abuse him. I don't really know how to explain it in a way that it can be conveyed over the interweb, but this man was, oh, I mean, he's the epitome of what's happening in the United States right now. He is the epitome of people abusing power over others. People abusing power over, I have power to decide whether or not you enter or you don't. And so essentially what ended up happening was my husband was detained. He was thrown into a holding cell for eight hours with a bunch of other people. Mind you, COVID is still very real. It was a concrete room with concrete slabs. They took everything from him. They took his phone. They took everything from his pockets. They took his shoelaces. They treated him like a criminal. They, they put him in a holding cell. They ran a check on him. They couldn't do anything because we've been married for seven years and he holds a visa that is valid for him to enter the United States for six months at a time until 2025. However, this scenario that we walked into in Los Angeles was nothing. It was like nothing I have ever seen in my life. I tried to speak calmly. I tried to speak calmly to the immigration officer. However, when I spoke to him, he would not look at me. However, when another immigration officer would try to approach me, he would let that immigration officer know that I was with him. So I was very patient. I was trying to explain the situation. When he asked me where we came from, I explained to him the situation. And then he told me, well, I don't care where you came from. I just want to know why you're here. And I just looked at him and I was like, dude. So this went on and on. And then finally, as we're walking out, they're separating us, right? So they're taking my husband and putting him in the holding cell. And then they're taking me down the baggage claim. And they won't let me stay with him. I start to walk away. The officer said, he tells me to walk away. He said, okay, can you please go that way, ma'am? And I'm like, okay. And I start to walk away. And then he's like, what are you doing? Why are you walking away? And I just turn around and I lose my shit. I lose my shit. I put my face up to the glass with my mask on, obviously. And I'm like, okay, now I'm fucking pissed. I'm like, you have been nothing but disrespectful. You're abusing your power. We are honest people. We have come into this country legally. He has a valid blah, blah, blah. And I just went off. And all of a sudden, like all these big men swarm me. And this woman comes over and she goes, ma'am, why don't you come with me? I'm like, okay, 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 let's go. So they take Mo. I go downstairs. I get our luggage. I'm freaking out, calling my dad. He doesn't know what's going on. It's a mess. So I wait and I wait and I wait and I wait. So then basically at one point, another officer, a immigration police officer, tells me that I should go upstairs and ask. I'm not going back up there because I already know what I did. But I don't feel bad about it. But I know what I did. I don't want to make things worse. But he tells me if it's been more than three hours, you should try to get information. So I go up there. And bless this man, Alaska Airlines, I will tell you, every single time I have been in the United States, not an ad, anything that's ever happened to me on an airline, Alaska has fixed it, even if it had nothing to do with them. One time in Colorado, I think it was United lost my bags, and Alaska found them and delivered them up into the Rocky Mountains from Denver. Like, they're the most amazing airline in the world. I swear. Okay, anyway, 
So this man from Alaska was like, what are you doing? And I was, because I was getting in the elevator to go upstairs. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, this officer told me to go up. He's like, okay. So he goes up. He's trying to go in and out. They won't even tell, they won't even tell him that my husband's in the system. They're acting like my husband's not even in the system. So then I ask a couple questions. I ask, I saw, I have one of my husband's bags. I have his bag and I can't carry everything. I literally have our whole life. Everything we own is packed up. I have just packed up our entire life and I have it all on a cart and I can't carry it all by myself. So I asked them if I can leave one of his other checked bags because the woman from Korean Air, she came down and there was a misunderstanding and she didn't take all of his bags. Anyway, I come up and I ask them if I can leave one of the bags because I, I can't carry them. And if I have to get on a flight to Portland, if they do send him back or whatever, I, I can't manage all that luggage. So, you know, they could care less, obviously. I come up and I approach a man and I say, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to ask about anything about my husband. I know you will not give me any information. I understand that. I respect that. However, I want to know two things. One, in all the chaos with when we entered, did I get processed correctly? Because nobody took my picture. Nobody scanned my fingerprints. I want to make sure that I was entered properly and it was dated properly as an American citizen entering the United States for the first time in two years. Two, can I leave this bag for my husband? Because it's marked under my name, but it's his bag. And that was all I asked. They checked. And then this hor horrific woman, horrific woman, this woman, she comes up and she says, ma'am, you're being escorted from the premises. And I just looked at her and I was like, okay, all right, we're doing this. And she said, please wait here. Um, we're calling, we're calling the, the police basically, like the actual police, like the actual like airport police. So this, these two men come, you know, like youngish, handsome men come up. And this one guy, he's really tall. And I look up at him, he comes up to me and I say, hi. He says, hi. And I go, in like the most innocent voice possible, I go, are we really doing this? And he went, yeah, we can do this the, the easy way or the hard way. And I went, okay. We get in the elevator. Of course, I'm not going to fight the police. So, and I mean, they're just being so insane. It's just, I mean, at this point, it's just like, I already popped off. I'm not doing it anymore. So we get into the elevator, we go down. And as we are leaving the elevator, my purse, my bag, I carry on, it all falls off the cart. And my makeup bag, my wallet, everything just goes flying across the floor. And this is in the baggage claim area. And I just burst into tears. We have been traveling for 40 hours. They are being monsters. And it is just this horrific situation. And I just start sobbing uncontrollably. And the woman looks at me from immigration and she goes, ma'am, if you don't pick up your things, you're going to be detained. And I looked at her and I was like, fine, detain me. I was like, you don't have a soul. And bless this policeman. He, he, you know, he went and he started pick. He's, he's picking up, he's putting my, he putting my makeup and my nail file and my concealer and everything back in my purse. Bless his sweetheart. And you know, he had a, that man had, a, he was a human. He was just doing his job. This woman, she was a, a word that I will not say on the internet. Then we, we start walking and, uh, we put them on two carts and the officers are, you know, we're wheeling them out together. And, uh, as we're walking and she's walking behind me and I'm just looking at her and every time I think of something nasty to say to her, I turn around and I'm like, you have no soul. 
I know how you sleep at night. You're a horrible person. I know how you do this every day to, to people. I know how you do this to honest people. I understand criminals, but I don't know how you do this to honest people. Basically, I didn't actually technically get detained, but I was real close to it. Uh, my husband was detained, and we had already been deported from Vietnam. He was detained in the United States, and I got about as close as I could to being detained. And at that point, honestly, I really didn't give a crap. Then all of a sudden, I'm just standing outside the terminal, and I'm just outside with all our bags. And, of course, the policeman, he he was like, do you want me to get one car and try to put it all on there for you? And I was like, yes, because I just, I just, I was so exhausted. I will say, if he ever hears this, or ever, you know, I doubt he will, but just good karma to him, something good will come to him, and I hope very bad things come to that other woman. So, I know you never know what's going on in people's lives, but there's no excuse for bad behavior and being a horrible human. This could have been done. This all could have been done in a very different way. Checking Mo and checking his status could have been done in a very different way. I'm not knocking them for doing what they did. I'm knocking them for doing it the way they did it. I, you know, obviously, I call my parents. Because another thing is, Mo had Mo had all our stuff. He had our all our all our cash that we had exchanged. He had all our cards. He had everything. I had nothing on me. I had one one hundred dollar bill in my wallet, and that's it. So call my parents. I am just sobbing. I'm just sobbing. So we decide the best thing to do is I'm going to go to Alaska Air. I'm going to check with them because the flight from LA to Portland, obviously we'd already missed. Portland was our final destination. That's where my family lives. Then also look at airport hotels because I can book a hotel next to the airport. And then as soon as Muhammad gets released, I can go keep, I can get him or spend the night, figure out what's going on, get on a flight, or whatever we have to do. We book a hotel room, and then I go up to Alaska Air and bless them, same thing, just as always. I go up to the desk, sweet, sweet, sweet man. I'm going to write their department a letter. I'm going to, that's on my list of things to do. Remind me, listeners, to do that. And, and anyone who's listening, please send Alaska Air a note or a letter just reminding or thanking them for being such an amazing airline and always having such great customer service or please share your experiences with them because they're just amazing <laughs> so I go up and I mean I, I look like hell and uh you know 40 hours of travel and sobbing and all this stuff and I tell him the situation and he just goes oh yeah it's fine he's like you know what we'll just bump you He's like, it won't, I won't charge you anything. And, you know, I still have the extra bag. He's like, worst case scenario, uh, you know, we'll charge you 30 bucks. And I'm like, I can handle that. So go back downstairs. And as I'm working out everything with my mom, I get a call from Muhammad. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I get a call from Muhammad. He puts me on the phone with the immigration officer. There happened to be an immigration officer who's American, but he is of some sort of Arabic descent. And he took most case and he worked everything out. He says, you know, listen, we'll cover the cost of the flight. And I'm like, I already took care of it. And he's like, can you be down here? Well, I don't know if you've ever been to LAX, but Terminal 1 and Terminal 6 are really far away. So my butt was running back and forth, back and forth three or four times with everything we own. Whew. So, so as I'm running back, I run back to Terminal 1 and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And my phone's at 5% and I'm waiting and I'm sitting there and I'm like, where's my husband? Where's my husband? Release my husband. Where's my husband? And he calls me back and he gets some final information. And you know, I'm waiting and then Mo calls me and he asks me where I am. And he comes out and I hug him and I'm just crying. And, and we go out. And anyway, so 
I let mom know that you know we got him and go straight back to Alaska. They they throw us on a flight and we have just enough time to check in and get to the gate. And we got on the plane and we got to Portland. It was honestly one of the worst days of my life. And just to reflect a little bit here, there's a couple things I want to say. The first thing is what happened in Vietnam is not representative of the Vietnamese people. What's happening right now with immigration they're doing what they have to do out of necessity, and I understand that. Vietnam is not the only country that is treating humans badly in the wake of COVID and having to make decisions that are harming people. I don't want this to be a story that is shared and is vilifying Vietnam or Asia or any anyone in Asia. The other thing I want to say is the climate of what's happening in the United States looks very different than it did two years ago. The last time that we entered the United States, my, my husband entered in New York City. He's entered twice in New York alone without me, and he's never had a problem. And so the climate of what things look like also in this country, in the United States, is very different. And that also is, is a representation of what is happening in the world. This is a global issue. This is not just an isolated thing. It's not one country. It's not one department. It's not one immigration office. It is a collective global shift in the way that people are operating. And there's a reason for it. There's always a reason behind the reason. So here's the moral of the story. We got just a small taste of what people around the world deal with every day. The truth of the matter is, it's not one person. It's not one country. It's not one individual. It's a collective. The truth of the matter is, it's collective. But I got a taste, for me personally, in this experience. What, what made it so traumatic for me was, I got a taste of what it felt like to walk into your own country and not be accepted. Now granted it was my husband, but it might as well have been me. I got a taste of what that feels like. I got a taste of what it feels like to walk around every day and feel like nobody cares about you. It made me think about why people are so angry. It made me think about why somebody might actually do something to get attention. It made me think about a lot of things that I've never thought about before. And I've lived in six countries on four continents, and I've been to over 50 countries. I'm not exactly a stranger to the way the world works, and even this was a shock to me. So with that said, we are now living in a tent. We are living in a tent in my parents' backyard. This happened so fast. My parents live in a small house. It's a lovely tent. We have a bed. We have a dresser. We have electricity. My mom even got us an orchid. We have a small heater, and we are making the best of the situation that we possibly can. So that's the story of deportation to detention to withholding to being released. And now we have a very tight timeline to start working on citizenship. Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that uncertainty is very difficult to deal with right now. But the reality is we have to accept the things we cannot control, and we have to focus on what we can. Is it overwhelming? Yes. 
have I really processed what's just happened? No. And that's something that will take time. However, I think sharing this story is extremely important. And the reason is because people need to know what's happening. People need to know, like, for example, people in Vietnam right now, some of the foreigners there, you know, they're not as fortunate as us. They don't have multiple income streams. They aren't working remotely. You know, if say you're an expat who's living in Vietnam and you are working on, you know, a visa that just gets extended every three months and you're working for an English school. Well, the English centers are closed because they're on lockdown right now with the outbreak. And so you're not getting paid. And then all of a sudden the Vietnamese government is just draining dry of fees and then deporting you. So we are really lucky that we are in a situation where we can do that. Second of all, luckily, my husband does hold a clean record with a visa that grants him access to the United States until 2025. It's just insane. And we do have legal status in this country, the ability to continue to work, to work remotely. However, it was, the, it was the exact same feeling on both sides. You're not a human. You don't matter. We don't care about you. We will do what we want, and we don't care. And I know, I know that that exists in the world, but this was next level. It was just next level. So to anyone listening, this is not to vilify what's happening in Vietnam. I'm not impressed with my own personal country of birth at the moment. However, a lot of things have changed. And I'm grateful to be here and I'm grateful for the privileges that we are given now that we are here. The ability to be vaccinated for free, the ability to work, the ability to have the infrastructure to be able to, you know, be free and work remotely and do all of these things. So with that said, this is our life and four years just poof. It's like we've just closed a chapter, but it's not even like the chapter's closed. It's just like the, the page has been turned. We're turning the page and whatever's going to be on the next page is being written. And that's how we look at life. And that's how we will continue to look at life. So thank you for listening to our story. Thank you for joining Storytime with Megan. This is episode four. Please check us out everywhere you can find podcasts. We are, just a note, we are on Spotify, but for some reason there has been difficulty uh, when you search it, but we're on there. So I'm working on fixing it. So in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to our podcast on Spotify because we are live on Spotify, but for some reason when you search it, it doesn't show up and I'm not sure. So I'm still working on fixing that. This has been a story to share, story time with Megan. We'll catch you next time for episode five.